Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. As we get ready for Hall of Fame inductions, you will hear from Mariano Rivera in an upcoming episode. But first, a long talk with his fellow 2019 inductee, Mike Messina. He is one of the best long-term free agent pickups the Yankees have ever made, but unfortunately, never won a World Series with the Yankees. Messina's eight-year Yankees run missed a ring by one year on each side, joining the Yankees right after the 2000 World Series title and retiring before the 2009 title. After coming so close to Cy Young Awards and Perfect Games 2, a long-running joke for those who knew and covered him was that Messina was Mr. Almost. No regrets, though, for Messina, who walked away after winning 20 games in 2008 and pushing his career total to 270, a mark that may not be reached for a long time in today's game. Messina grew up in Montoursville, PA, only a few hours drive from Baltimore and New York, the only two places he played in his 18-year career. It's where he returned the day after he was done playing, and it's where I found him in early June at a quiet restaurant on the main drag in Montoursville as he prepared for his induction into Cooperstown. For a peek into how he feels about being a Hall of Famer and some memories about the moments that got him there, here's part one of my two-part conversation with Mike Messina. The night the Hall of Fame... Results were announced. Tell me what the scene was. I know you were surprised that it happened this year. Not necessarily surprised that it happened, yeah. but tell me the scene. How did you find out? How did everybody react around you? Um, it was, uh, I had basketball practice. I coach high school basketball, so we were, fin- we were finishing practice. It was about 5.15, 5.20. Um, all the kids had left the court. The, uh, the, the staff had come on to pull out the bleachers and stuff. To get ready for the girls' high school game that was coming behind our uh, behind our practice, so they had to get set up. And uh, so there was there was you know 15 people maybe in the gym. Coaches were starting to come in, girls were starting to come in, um, and I was still just hanging out there because my son had gone to the locker room to change, and guys had gone to the locker room. And um, so my phone rings. I had it, I had it in my pocket most of the practice, um, and I look down at it and it says New York on it. And I'm like. That's, basically said oh crap you know they're calling so and of course they they had called a few days in advance and said listen how this is this is how the system works we'll call you before it's announced on television you'll know but we can't have you telling anybody before they announce it on television so the phone rings i look at my phone it says new york on it i said oh crap you know i got it so i le- i walked out of the gym and down the hall to get away from the people and and I, and I talked to Jeff. I was um, on the phone, and he told me what was going on. I asked him how close it was, what percentage I got, not whatever. And uh, so um, we got done with the conversation. He told me what the scenario was coming going forward because I had to be in New York City the next day. And uh, so my son came back down. Um, he probably was already back down. I went around and got him and said, "Listen, we got to go." 
and uh, somebody asked me if that was the call because people they've been they knew it was sure. coming, and I said, I said, it was them, but but they have to call me back. I kind of made <laughs> you didn't crap. lie. I didn't lie. So I made up something, mm-hmm. and we we left, and and my wife was my wife was actually not even home, so my son and I just went to McDonald's or something or Burger King and got food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we so we went to, I said we got a little time till it's on TV, so let's go. And I called my other son who was at college um, and told him, I said, but you can't tell anybody until it's on TV. Did you tell your son in the car? You told him? Yeah, yeah, no, I told him. Yeah, I told my son in the car. Uh, As soon as we walked out in the parking lot and got in the car, I said, the Hall of Fame just called and I got in. So. um, Did he react the way you just did just now telling that or was was there a reaction there? um, He said something to the effect, oh, you know, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, that's pretty cool. (laughs) All that kind of stuff, and where are we going to eat? Let's go eat, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how that's kind of how it played out that night. I, I called my wife when I got home, uh, or I, te- I think I texted her so that she could read it and not have to react on the actually physically on the phone. So um, she was at dinner with one of her friends, and and then you know you wait around an hour, forty five minutes or whatever it was until the announcement came through on the phone on the TV, and then of course I then I had to turn my phone down to silent because you know you just get one text after another one phone call after another mm-hmm. and so the first night was was pretty chaotic that way did you have people come over to the house or like uh, you no know, no no nobody came over I didn't, I didn't leave certainly I didn't <laughs> I didn't go back to the basketball game let's put it that way so uh, that was that was kind of how the evening went of the messages you got what surprised you? Were there ones that kind of, were, I mean, they all make you smile to a degree. Were there ones that kind of came out of nowhere, people you hadn't heard from in a while? Oh, there was a lot of people I hadn't heard from in a while. There were people that I wondered who they had to talk to to get my number. <laughs> um, but uh, old college teammates, um, certainly guys that I played with both in Baltimore and New York, um, people from locally from around here, uh, buddies I went to high school with, uh, the guys I the guys I know now, the guys I coach with now, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a really long list. By by the time I got to New York, the next day, um, there was in the 150 range of stuff I was, and and uh, so I I basically just decided to um, just sit down and say thanks. I just so I answered everybody with a th- it was something. Short enough that I could keep working at it, and, the, and of course, the car ride—they sent a car from New York to take us, so I didn't have to actually physically drive. So I answered a lot of stuff on the phone call, and I talked to my agent, um, uh, and I, I talked to you know people that I needed to talk to and say thanks and all that stuff. And uh, but I answered as many texts as I could, and I answered some more when I got to New York. So uh, that's—it was—it was—it was busy and it got hectic and. It was just, but it was it was all surprising. I really didn't because anybody that followed this stuff and I had been following since I got on the ballot, um, you watch the percentages of the known ballots of the of the uh, I don't know what the word is publicly the public the public ballots versus the ones that aren't aren't public until they actually count them. And historically, if you're whatever percentage you're at with the with the public ballots goes down 
once you get the, once you get the rest of the ones counted. And uh, I was hovering, you know, in the high 70s, around 80, 81. And I kind of felt that it was, you know, and the way they were talking about on television and most of the broadcasters thought there was going to be three guys and that I'd end up a little short. And that's kind of just what I was guessing, too, just because of the way it had gone since I had been really paying attention. And uh, that's why when he called me at the end of basketball practice, I'm like, oh, man, this I was like mentally ready for to do it maybe a year from now cuz and now I have to get mentally ready now because here we go for the next 6 months until until July I have a lot of other responsibilities and and then of course there's other responsibilities after July too but but uh, that's just trying to get lists of people and all these things that you have to do so it's it was it was exciting and surprising and and now what am I going to do kind of thing <laughs> The rewarding part in looking at your career this way, now that you're officially in the Hall of Fame, is that you kind of shed now that Mr. Almost label that we've joked about for all these years. Your career is no longer viewed as something, uh, uh, it's no longer defined by the things you didn't achieve. Now you're, you're defined by the things you did achieve. And I mean, do you find looking at that, have you found that perspective too in all the things that you did get to do are now being recognized and rewarded. Well, I, I think being the being the player, I was I was perfectly satisfied and with what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that it just took it just took the other the the, the voters, the, the the writers, and those that are responsible for making those decisions. It took a little time to see how the game was changing and how what what I was able to do um, was actually pretty good at, in the in the in the space of time that I did it in uh, better than pretty good well maybe but but you know I was I, I pitched I pitched with and against a lot of very good pitchers uh, who are already in the Hall of Fame um, and the numbers that no, I didn't get to 300. I didn't strike out 3,000. Um, but certainly the win, the wins number is going to be tough to approach now just the way the game has already changed in the 10 years since I've been there. And uh, I think I think they realize that a guy that's going to win, they're going to be a, uh, over 110 games over 500, who is you know, going to win 270 games, uh, who's only going to lose 150-some, they're not gonna. You're not gonna see too many of those guys anymore. And if and if we keep and if the criteria stayed with the 300 wins, the 3,000 strikeouts, the, the three Cy Young awards, or whatever, then you weren't gonna put any starting pitchers in the Hall of Fame anymore. And uh, there's guys out there that are pitching today who are going to go to the Hall of Fame that aren't gonna make it to 300 wins. They probably aren't gonna be in the ballpark. And that's just the way the game is now. Um, so, I just I think I think the analytics of it helped uh, me eventually mm-hmm. uh, when some of the uh, some of the older writers started seeing that the way it used to be isn't that way anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they 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 changed they changed the, the voters too a little bit. They 
I mean, there was only 425 ballots this year, and I know years that have been 500 plus ballots out there. So I think I think just and there's some younger guys who grew up watching, who now who now cover Major League Baseball, who grew up watching my generation play. Now they're covering it. Now they get a chance to vote for the guys that they got to watch, and uh, I think because of multiple things, I I uh, people think that I did a good enough job to, to deserve this. There's going to be a stage when you are inducted and behind you are going to be guys you grew up watching on TV. Mm-hmm. Steve Carlton, Nolan Ryan. Sure. Uh, Jim Palmer is in a different category because I know you, you got had a relationship with him from <laughs> Baltimore. Uh, guys that you read about or saw films about or had baseball cards, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, mm-hmm. you know, baseball royalty. And then the guys you're talking about that you competed with and against Pedro Martinez, Greg Maddox, contemporaries who are now up there. Are we still contemporaries? Even though we Yeah, you're the same age. How about that? Okay. Uh, we're, all, we're all over 50. You're now. all around there, yeah. Have uh, I'm I'm catching up on you right. fast. I'll get there. Catching up. You're <laughs> just getting to the same you're in the same place. Has it hit you or will it hit you that you're up on that stage? You're now one of those guys. It's not it's not hey, look at those guys. It's you're part of that. Yeah. To answer your question, no. It, and the, and the, to stand there in the same room with with Koufax or Johnny Bench or Mike Schmidt or you know most of the Yankee guys I've had a chance to meet Reggie and, right. and guys like that I've had a chance to, to meet and talk to and know but guys that I never had a chance to do that with very often it's still going to be strange because those are the guys I grew up watching on TV yeah. and and the things they accomplished in their careers, I thought, as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult, were amazing accomplishments. And they deserve to be in the room that we're in and, and, and in the building that, that, that we're in. And, and to, to look at myself in the same, in the same analysis just doesn't, doesn't work right. <laughs> it just doesn't fit. I mean, I'm just this kid that played wiffle ball all the time and, and from a small town in the middle of Pennsylvania that just wanted to keep playing baseball. So I, they said I was good enough to go play in college, so I did. And they said I was good enough to play professionally, so I did. And I was good enough to pitch in the big leagues, so I did. And I turned around at 40 years old and look what I did kind of thing. And so it's just uh, – and, and, and living here, yeah. you know, where, where I live – People, Do people treat you any differently around here no, in the last I'm, few months? I'm no? somebody, I'm really, like, because I've been out of the game for a while. Yeah. All the kids, I'm somebody's dad. Sure. Um, they don't remember, the, the, the kids that are graduating from high school this year don't remember me playing. Right. You know, they were seven, six, eight years old, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, you know, I go to the supermarket or I go to the hardware store or I go to get a sandwich. It's, it's, the, the 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 magnitude of, of the of what this is doesn't sink in on any of us it's just it's just I, I can't even explain it I just don't I don't even know like I I'm just some some Pennsylvania kid that now got got to the Hall of Fame somehow and I don't know how I did it uh, I have an idea how you did it we'll get into that well I but yeah um, David Cohn, I spoke to recently. He has a new book out, and is one of the things uh, in it that struck me. But his plan A was go to the University of Missouri and be a sports writer. 
He wanted to okay. he wanted to get into journalism. Uh, he thought he was going to make the big leagues that way. Because, as you said, didn't know if you're going to be good enough once you got to each level, if you're going to be good enough to, to continue on. What was your plan A before baseball became plan A? What were you going to do? The, the, I had no – baseball was plan A. Ooh. I was I – was, because you, you grow up in this town where, I, where I'm from here that is so small and we're so naive probably about the world back in the 80s mm-hmm. that I didn't – I mean, I, was, I had a lot of success playing baseball here against – other towns other teams other kids I was pretty good at it so I never really thought about when they told me that I could go play after high school that I was good enough to go to a division one school well okay and I mean that's they're telling me I can still play baseball awesome let's go keep playing Mm -hmm. and yeah I did did well in school and I I could have gone to college to to just go to college but uh I had here's an opportunity to they're going to go let me play baseball more. So that, that's awesome. Let's go play. So I think when I got to Stanford is when I realized that there's a lot more good players out there than the little speck of dirt from where I'm from. So uh, I either have to be better, more consistent, get better with what I do, or this is going to be it. You know, I'll play I'll play here as long as I can or whatever opportunities it provides, and then it's going to be over. And I still had no idea. I was still just naive to the point. What do I do then? Like, mm-hmm. this is this is. I love sports. Sports is what I, you know, coaching or, or uh, anything that dealing with sports in that aspect didn't even dawn on me at the time. Even though I'm playing at a Division One school with coaches that played college baseball, it didn't dawn on me that maybe that's what I'm going to end up doing somewhere. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not here, but somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just and I had a good and. and a lot of my good fortune is that I had a good first year. As a high school freshman, I was, or a college freshman, as a high school freshman. I started as a high school freshman. I started as a college freshman. And so after my freshman year, I kind of felt like I think I can do this uh, at least through college and be good at it. And then then I, and I get drafted and sign and have a good first year in Pro Bowl. And then I get they get called up and I have a good first year the year in the majors and then you know it was, it was it was I think fortunate for me that that I got started well at every level that I played at I got started well so the confidence was there uh, rather rather quickly that I could compete and I could do this and and so you gotta have confidence to do this or any athletic job is you have to have confidence in yourself and or you're not gonna be able to succeed when we talk about how your career was built and why you're going into the Hall of Fame, everybody points to 18 years in the American League East, pitching in hitters' ballparks, pitching during what we call the steroid era, era uh, pitching to a DH every, every time, and pitching against, as we've counted out, the world champs almost half of your career uh, facing the Yankees and then joining them in uh, facing Boston. You had Toronto. You had eight World Series champions in your division during the time that you played. When we talk about it like that, it sounds like an uphill battle. Did it feel like an uphill battle to you all the time? No, I mean, when you start talking about world champs, all, all you know, when they become world champs is after the season's over. Mm-hmm. So, and you start fresh the next year in spring training, it doesn't feel like 
when we go to New York, we're playing the you know the Yankees are sure. defending champs, but it's not exactly the same team. It's but not all those things are rattled off. Make it sound like it's just really hard to do. Did it feel I, hard I to think, do? I th- no, it didn't feel any different. I think than anybody else would feel. The job itself is hard to do. Yeah, okay. Um, to to get to that point, to, to become a, a, a major league player, pitcher, whatever position you play, is hard to do. And then once you're there, you know that every young, in my case, starting pitcher in the organization wants the job that I have. So now I have to be good enough at it to keep it that they don't want to give somebody else a shot. Like, they gave me a shot at one time. Somebody had to fail to give me an opportunity, and when the door opened, I stepped through it. Now I have to shut the door behind me and stay where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of... that was Somebody told me that way back beginning of my career, that there's you know all, there's always somebody that wants your job. Right. And, and that just kind of was how I... I remember that every year. You go to spring training and you're prepared. Say, listen, I have to be prepared. I don't care if I pitched eight, ten years in this league. I have to be prepared, or they're, or because if I if I don't do well, they're going to give somebody else an opportunity, and I may never get another opportunity. So, uh, and there's so many other things that are involved: injury and and bad luck and and who knows what. But uh, if whatever I could control, I was going to make sure I was ready to to go do my job when they told me it was time to go. You spent a good number of prime years of your career pitching against great Yankee teams. What was your view of those teams that were going on and winning world championships, you know, at your expense, 96, 98, 99, 2000? They're in your division. They're beating you every time. And, I mean, you know all the great players. Some of them are going to be sitting next to you. Uh, What was your view of those guys as you were competing against them? I I mean, as a a competitor, I was just looking at, you know, this is the team that I have to deal with. It's my day to pitch, and this is who I have to deal with. And um, you know the success. You know the quality a team may have. Um, You know that they've won World Series up to this point. um, And you have to, you have to, you have to be, you have to be at or near your best to have a chance to win today. But at the same time, it's a baseball game. So anybody in the league can beat anybody else on any given day. So I'm going to give us the best chance I can to win today. That was kind of just how I looked at it. And uh, I only get to play one out of five. And uh, I can't, I, I don't, I never like leaving the game and just settling for the excuse that I just didn't have it today. Uh, that That's. That's just not good enough. There's there's other guys behind you playing, who are hoping that, that you put out your best effort. There's people who paid uh, money to come see you play. They want you to put out your best effort. And if you and if you just make some excuse up that I just didn't have it today, that's just an excuse. So even if you don't have your best stuff, you have to put out the best effort with whatever you have. And that's how I felt about pitching, whether it was the Yankees or anybody else. And and yeah, our division was challenging, and that's just how it was at that time in history. Um, yeah, guys hit a lot of home runs. Yeah, I played in a pretty small ballpark in Baltimore. You know, it helped me out a couple times too. Uh, yeah. But um, it's it was, but that was all I knew really. It wasn't like I was comparing it to anything else. When I was playing in Baltimore, it was the only stadium that I would pitch that often in. So uh, 
I didn't. I had no place, nothing to compare it to. And when the Yankees came to town or any other world champion, it, it was, you know, I'm going to give them the best I've got and see if we can take them down. You joined the Yankees after the 2000 season, and Joe Torre has talked about this tour of the suburbs that he gave you as maybe kind of being something that, well, I don't know how much it swayed you. I mean, they gave you a, bit, a lot of money. But he pointed to the fact that he just wanted to show you there's more to New York than the tall buildings and Times Square and all that. I mean, seeing where you live, I think I can see why that would be important uh, for you to know. Do you remember something about specific about driving around with Joe Torre and, and what that felt like during the recruitment process? Um, nothing, nothing particular. It's just I, and he said this on the phone too. It wasn't like mm-hmm. it was that I showed up to, to have dinner with him and Cashman, and that's that's kind of oh oh by the way, let's go see what else is you know New York's about. Um, I mean, I knew that. Yeah. The New York City didn't stretch out all the way to you know, for hundreds of miles. Right. So he just wanted me. He just wanted me to know that that you, know, you can come here and work and do this job, and and get away from it, even while the season's going, so that you can go home and be and be, you know, live in the sticks and work in the city. Yeah. And that's kind of what he. I do too. I know how that feels. That's, that's kind of what he wanted me to. He wanted me to see that and understand that. And, and I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Uh, you know, they called me. Thank you. They called me. Joe called me three days after the World Series was over. Like they called me before they even took a break and went on vacation after the 2000 World Series was over. And you know, that in itself, I thought was pretty impressive. That that they felt that I was important enough to them. Uh, that they wanted to talk to me before they basically shut down for the year, uh, having won the World Series, and they wanted, you know, and I thought that was, I thought that was really cool, and and, and you know, it's just it's circumstances played out that, that it was my best, I, knowing it was the second half of my career because I, I, I mean, when you play ten years in one place, you're not going to go someplace else and play twelve most likely, so I knew that I wanted to make a decision to be on a team that had the best chance to be successful. For the end of my career, whether that was three years, five years, however long it lasted, and so uh, obviously I knew that New York was going to be uh, in a situation like that just about every year, mm-hmm. and so it was close to home. It was no farther away than Baltimore, and uh, you know having a wife and children it, it, that's a factor, and so uh, they, they wanted me to go there, and uh, it just worked out to be the best best situation for me, and and. And uh, for us, and and so that's that's uh, how it worked out. Knowing what preparation means to just what you do, whether it was as a pitcher or just as your in, your in your daily life, how important it seems to be to be prepared for everything. It seems like nothing, very little surprises you or would surprise you, but the it felt like that first year the attention you got from all of us really seemed to throw you off and, and bugged you to a certain degree. Um, I know this is a, it's no secret. There are a lot of us who walked away that first year saying, man, we got five more years of that guy. What a jackass. <laughs> uh, and that changed. Uh, we changed, you changed, you know, like Rocky Four. We all changed. But um, <laughs> remember that? Um, 
it was it that e- was it that simple, or was there something just that you just had to get used to about that environment, and maybe we, maybe it wasn't something you were prepared for going in. Um. Well, I I wasn't I, I I wasn't prepared for it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been lucky enough to go to the playoffs a couple times with Baltimore, and and you know playoff scenarios. There's a lot of there's a lot of coverage, media coverage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the clubhouse is busy and full, and there's a lot of people walking around, and uh, they're asked, you're asked to do a lot more in the postseason. Well, we get to New York, and yes, I'm the, free, the big free agent sign, and, and uh, everybody wants to talk to you at the beginning. I'm like, all right, this is the way it's going to be at the beginning. And it just kind of stayed that way and kept going, and, and uh, you know, sometimes I, I think... You know, sometimes reporters ask tough questions, and 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 they want they want a they want a certain answer. So we keep asking. So they keep asking ways, in a different know? way. Mm-hmm. So so I think that was the frustrating part sometimes. But I, I think it just it just something that I just looked. I, eventually, I just said, listen, I'll, if I just talk to these guys and don't make it like it's them versus me, mm-hmm. I'll just and we'll be okay. And 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 of course, there's you know there's there's ways of handling stuff. You know, you have to. You have to be. You have to stand up when you don't play well. You have to, you know. There's things that you have to do that, that you know that the public, the public pay their money to come watch you play, and and if you don't do well, you need to admit you didn't do well, and then, and that's you know that takes some getting used to and a certain level of, of comfort in the fact that listen, it's going to be okay that I stunk today, but I got to tell them that I got to be better than this, and so uh, it was just it was just getting. Learn it. I, I can say it like it was learning the system. Yeah. Like you, you know, if you when you go from high school to college, you have to learn this how sure. it works. And and when you go from from college to life, you have to figure out how it works. And I kind of had to, when I went from Baltimore to New York, I just had to figure out how it worked. And um, fortunately, I threw well the first year. Uh, again, again. They, mm-hmm. luckily the first year was a good year. And uh, so once we got got through the we got through the opening, uh, the opening act there. Mm-hmm. It, things all got better, and it was like home. It was like being at home, playing in New York. You, there are certain pitchers who have reputation as being a big game pitcher. You look through history and you say Bob Gibson or Kurt Schilling. They were, they're labeled big game pitchers. You were never given that label, but as I look back on some of the games you pitched, you know, it's it's a label that should have been attached to you it's just that probably your teams didn't finish the deal and and give you that luxury 1997 playoffs you faced up against randy johnson twice in the first round and outperform and beat him twice uh in, in an elimination game in the next round against cleveland you threw eight scoreless innings lose the game in extra innings cleveland goes on to win the pennant 2001 you're facing elimination in Oakland, everybody remembers that as Derek Jeter's flip mm-hmm. play game. You threw seven scoreless that night uh, in 03. And we've, I know we've talked about this one a lot. You know, coming out of the bullpen to relieve Roger Clemens, three scoreless to keep the game at a, at a place where it's still winnable. And the big comeback that happened there in game seven against the Red Sox. You know, did you ever start to feel that? I mean, I don't think labels matter, but did you feel like you were a big game pitcher, like something else went up for you in moments like that? Um, 
No. No, I never, I never, I mean, it's, you know when there's, when it's big games, you know uh, the significance of things. I mean, there's regular season big games when you're, in my case, when you're facing Pedro or. And, and win five of the seven matchups. So, you know, that's, there's, you know when it's big days, you know, and, you know, sometimes you, you know, and you can, you know, you, you can pitch well and then not work out too, you know, you can. He, the other guy may pitch better. It's just it's just how it is sometimes. But I was never I was never concerned with being labeled a big game pitcher or or somebody that wasn't a big game pitcher. I didn't. I never. I'm just I was just trying to do my job, and that's yeah. I end up having some good good matchups with some good guys and doing well. I mean, there's there's some matchups that I probably didn't do well too. There's other there's stuff out there. So, yeah. um, but I. No, I'm, I'm, I was pleased with the fact, you know, to beat Randy twice in, in, inside a week, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to be able to help out to win the to win the playoff game in, in 03, to pitch the game in Oakland uh, in 01. Uh, you know, I, I, I beat, uh, I beat uh, the Marlins in Florida. Um, to go up 2-1. To go up 2-1 against the guy that ended up getting the clinching Right, Beckett pitched that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and he got the MVP, and I don't know how because I beat him in Game Three. How does that work? So, anyway, his team won. That's how it works. Well, they had to give it to somebody, I guess. Yeah, but anyway, um, uh, it's just it was. I mean, we had a lot of good guys in that staff, so you know, it was they never they don't build certain matchups on purpose when you have that kind of level of talent when you have that level of talent on the staff, so. Yeah, I had I had some matchups that I did well in, and, and but it didn't bother me that I wasn't a big game pitcher. It's I'm in the Hall of Fame, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it worked Case out. Closed, it right? worked out. Yeah. The um the stage next to you or on the stage with you, it'll be crowded this year. But one of the guys, uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, helped get you here. You probably helped get him here I too a little him. bit. I yes, just as much. Um, what was it like having that type of presence in your bullpen for eight years as a New York Yankee. Uh, you, you, in the, in the era that we played, and obviously became the era of closers. It was mm-hmm. you had to have one of those who did his job very well, or you weren't going to succeed. You couldn't, you can't lose games late, often, very often, and, and make it to where you want to go at the end of the season. And so you end up with a guy who was obviously. Established, uh, had won numerous postseason, uh, closed numerous postseason games before I even went to New York, so that I knew that you know if I do my job and give us an opportunity to win games, that, that he's going to come in and, and win the game for us and finish it off. So uh, it was, it was, it's a, it's a. Um, there's just a, there's a level of comfort when you know that if I do my job, most likely he's going to do his job and we're going to win the ball game, and. That's just basically how I worked with it. I, if I could get from me to him, you know, that was a good day. Yeah. Uh, that was probably going to be a really good day if I could get from me to him. Um, and there, was, there wasn't that as often because as I was getting older and, and the way the game was changing, complete games or close to complete games were few and far between. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just, you know, I got, I got a lot of help from a lot of guys between me and Mo. 
in those eight years, but uh, but it was nice having Mo back there when when you needed those last three outs. Guy that's going to join you next year, barring something crazy unforeseen, is Derek Jeter. What was the difference between playing against Derek Jeter and playing with him? Uh, I think I think when you didn't have to when you didn't have to face Derek, uh, it just it's a different lineup when you're facing a team and guys of that quality aren't in that lineup. Yeah. And uh, you know he got three thousand and some hits for a reason. Uh, he got always got big hits against tough pitchers, especially in postseason games for a reason. And uh, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame for a reason. So, so when when I had to try to get him out, you know, you just you understand the level of frustration that that at bat could be, because he's going to either foul off a bunch of stuff that looked good to me, felt good to me, or he's going to get a hit on something that he shouldn't get a hit on, and uh, that's what made him a great player. Uh, and why he was so tough to get out, why he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And it was it was nice having him doing that to the opponent yeah. instead of him doing it to me. And and so, you know, having – and being able to play on his team obviously is – obviously is a great honor. And and, uh, and I knew I knew if, if I could get the guy to hit a ground ball to him that he was – he's going to catch it and throw it to the guy he's supposed to throw it to and we're going to – and he's going to be where he's supposed to be, and 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 all those things. So, uh, yeah, it was it was it was great having him behind me. I always uh, come back to a quote that I got from you when he was coming back from his shoulder injury. He was out about six weeks in 2003. He's coming back. You were pitching the next game when he came back. So about two days before, I went up to you and and you gave me a line that I'm still working on getting this chiseled into granite because that's where it belongs. Okay, I'm, it, I mean, and it came out of nowhere. I yeah, think. Yeah, probably made it up. Out of yeah, and it's yeah. great. It says. You said we can play in the stadium and we can put on the uniform, but we're not the New York Yankees unless Derek Teeter's playing shortstop. You know, and it just spoke. You're right. We need a T-shirt. <laughs> it's a great line, right? Um, it yeah. just spoke to me about the identity that he had that you identified. It wasn't just the identity he had with fans. It was the it was the identity he had with teammates. You you guys needed him there. It takes some recognition of that to know that everything he means and not have it be hyperbole well i just when when you know we're talking about what you'd say it was oh three yeah so he had been around for eight years nine mm-hmm. years whatever his career was at that point yeah um and a member of you know multiple world championship teams and it you know has been the shortstop consistently for years when he's not there it's just it's different it's, yeah. it's really different and your lineup's different your defense is different your uh, just the game itself is different and and so when he came back he just when you got when you have all your pieces you feel really good about your chances yeah. and so we didn't have all our pieces so our, you just you don't feel like your chances are as good and now if you get them you have them then we're going to move up a notch or two here, and that's that's just how you feel about it. Well, I remember coming to you specifically because that was something you weren't used to. In your previous stop, the shortstop there played every single day. A lot, yeah. Yeah, so having that piece taken away for six weeks actually, I think, stood out for you maybe more than somebody else. Yeah, it's just, it's, I think, I think, I mean, he's, he was, uh, he was, 
I don't even know. I don't think he was. Was he the captain? He was the captain. Not yet. Later that year. Later the same year? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because of my quote. Probably. <laughs> I should get a little little small C. I should get a little small C. Put you somewhere. Know, an A? Like in hockey? Yeah. Man, uh, yeah. Just a little. So anyway. Um, it's just, you know, Cal played, Cal played a lot of shortstop for me. Yeah. And then he, he moved and Mike Bordy played a lot of shortstop for me. Mm-hmm. And the two of those guys... I knew that if the ball got hit to them, they're going to make a play. Yeah. They're going to be in the right place. They're going to catch the ball. They're going to make the play. And if you felt that way about Jeter, you just and when you're when you're a veteran player and you have to play with a substitute, it's just different. Yeah. Not that the sub wasn't good. Sure. Could have done fine. Could have made no errors in six weeks. Right. It's just different. That's mm-hmm. all. And then and you know when when the main pitchers aren't pitching. If Mariano couldn't close, yeah, it's different. Yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, that's just how it's just how it was. You have, sometimes you have to get used to different. Um, but when you get it back to the way you normal is, we're human beings. We like we like normal. Yes. We like we, we like the comfort zone. And that's I think everybody I think everybody fans. The you know when Derek gets to play shortstop at the time that was the comfort zone and we wanted to we wanted to be playing in our comfort zone. That's part one. In part two, Messina and I will get more into pitching, his thoughts on the game since he's left it, and a little more on his appreciation for being able to call himself a Hall of Famer. Stay tuned for that one, posting very soon at Radio.com, iTunes, and on WFAN.com. Until then, thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.